0: you'd be so kind in the book of 1st Timothy chapter 3. It was a joy last week to be here and to share in the time of observation with Pastor Molyneux and his family. It was a joy to be able to Witness, In fact, as I sat and I listened to the things he had to share, I was remembering so many times in the past, on four different occasions, as my wife and I went through the same process, how nervous you are, but yet knowing that God was in it. I shared with the search committee last week, it was last week, right? Boy, the weeks are flying by. Yes, last week, that uh, in each case where God called us to pastor, that we knew on our first visit that this was the place. And God confirmed that as the process unfolded in each location. So I identified, we identified with pastor and his wife, Jessica. Jessica. As that process was unfolding. And also rejoicing with them in the excitement of seeing God at work. And uh, we look forward to seeing how God is going to move in the next few weeks as he opens those doors. And makes known to you his desire and his will for the under-shepherd he would have for you. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, two weeks ago, we started looking at the qualifications of the Pastor. The things that God requires. These are not suggestions, by the way. These are requirements. These are things that must be true of the man that God calls to ministry as the under-shepherd of a local church. And as we look at those qualifications, uh, we cannot help but recognize and acknowledge that, man, that is awfully strict. It's awfully narrow here. And that's by intention. That's by God's design. And uh, we low be to the church that chooses to ignore those qualifications. In fact, you and I probably are very much aware of many different scenarios in which churches ignored God's stipulations for the office of pastor. Last week, as we were discussing this, as we were sharing with you some of the insights that Paul shares... We, uh, I think we only got part way into the list. At least that's the note that I made myself as I wrote it down here in my notes. Uh, we were talking about the qualifications beginning in verse number two of first Timothy chapter three, where he says, a the bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behavior, hospitable, and apt to teach. I believe that's as far as I got in, in just a quick review of those things. We'll note here the bishop must be blameless. And I shared with you last time, or did I say last week? I hope I didn't say last week. Two weeks ago, uh, that uh, when Paul was writing to Titus, he shared with him the other word that is often used to describe this characteristic. One is the word blameless, and the other one is the word above reproach. And if you remember, I shared with you the, the word blameless is the idea that, that there is no handle on any kind of an accusation that might be made. There's nothing to get a hold of, nothing to wrap your arms around, so to speak. The word above reproach is, is what I call the Teflon word, where mud is slung. You know, in this day and age, mud is being slung everywhere. Uh, you watch the election process uh, back in 2016, and then you watch the election process this year. Boy, I'll tell you what, the mud gets slung, and it gets thrown everywhere, and people are getting spattered by it everywhere. The question is, how do you respond to it? Well, the idea of this word above reproach is the fact that when the mud is slung, nothing sticks. It just slides right on off. In fact, I'm convinced today that the politicians sling the mud on purpose so that the opposition will waste the time defending themselves against the mud that has been slung. Shame on us for swallowing whole the things that get said without proof. So let's be careful with that. But as far as the pastor is concerned, blameless and above reproach. Two qualifications that are necessary in the pastor. And then he also says the husband of one wife. Again, I shared with you last time that this, this is in the qualitative case, which means that we're dealing with one wife at a time. Goodness gracious boy, we could talk about that one all day long. There are all different kinds of interpretations as to what this means. But it's, it's just, it's very simply, very literally a one woman man. That's what he has. I have I am happily married. In fact I was happily married for the first few years of my life with my wife Kathy, my first wife. I've been ecstatic all the rest of the years. Boy, you're slow on the uptake today. But this word is, is one that very... And by the way, this, this phrase does not apply to the issue of divorce. The issue of divorce is, is applicable in the word blameless and above reproach. In fact, I was asked a whole lot of questions last week, or two weeks ago, when, when I was started in on this particular passage, about different things as it related to the pastor. Uh, be under, please understand that, that divorce, as far as the issue of divorce is concerned, the issue or the question or the qualification of blamelessness and above reproach is where that applies. But in this context of what we're dealing with here, a one-woman man. He's got one at a time. Uh, does that mean that uh, that she might pass away and that uh, uh, he could marry again? I think yes, that is totally and perfectly acceptable because it fits the qualification of what we're dealing with here. Then he goes on, and he hears here in verse number two, temperate. Uh, The word temperate is one that's very simple, is very straightforward. And it's the idea here of of, uh, uh, being vigilant, of being dispassionate, being calm, having sober judgment. Don't confuse this with sober-minded, which we're going to deal with in just a second. He uses wise caution. In, the, in his conduct in life and in ministry. Sound-minded or sober-minded is the idea or the quality of mind of being serious, of being earnest, of being sound, of being prudent and being thoughtful. And it carries with it the idea of balanced judgment. Now understand, as we don't deal with that word sober-minded, and I'm not sure I mentioned this last time, it does not mean that he does not have a sense of humor. I do hope he has a sense of humor. Uh, Pastor Molyneux has a sense of humor. I noticed that as I listened uh, by the way, I hope as you listen to the question answer time, if you were here or if you were listening to it on the, the website, uh, that you listen to his answers. Because he said a great deal as he answered the questions. He answered a lot of questions just by the answer he gave to another question. For instance, I was listening very carefully for what kind of a leader is he going to be? What kind of leader, what kind of leadership style will he use? And I was impressed also with the fact that he's very humble. Very humble. He, he answered a question, Brother Dave, I think you asked a question about how is how is he going to prepare? How What's his process for preparing for messages? And, and he spoke right up and he says, uh, well, I haven't had a whole lot of practice with that one, or words to that effect. Uh, you know, that's a very honest and transparent kind of an answer, and it reflects a humble spirit. Uh, he's also not the dictator type of a leader. Uh, I picked up on that as I listened to his questions and answers as well. Uh so the sober minded uh qualification in terms of uh of being balanced of using using good judgment uh I think qualifies in, in his case as well, but also in it should characterize all pastors who are in ministry today. Um, and I do think is we find lacking in some, uh but uh, again I'm not gonna point any fingers here this morning. He goes on, he talks about, and again, we talked about this last week, or two weeks ago, the husband of one wife temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior. Does that mean that he is not mischievous? Well, I hope not, because I am. But it does mean that he is orderly, that he is respectable, that he, uh, he has those personal habits, whether it's message preparation, or it's in uh, the, the, the way his office looks, or how he conducts himself in business. That he is, he, that he is a, a, a respectable individual in that context. Is he apt to teach? We have not uh, yet seen this in a teaching situation, but I believe on the 20th, uh, at least, I don't, I, I can't even say that because we haven't decided yet. Uh, but the idea is that uh, the pastor is going to be able to teach. He's able to impart biblical wisdom uh, in a context uh, with, with a classroom kind of a setting and in a preaching setting. So we did see that as far as his preaching was concerned. Uh, We need to be looking for that in a pastor, whether we're talking about for the pulpit here or elsewhere. If you happen to move to another area, uh, you don't be checking out the preacher. It's okay to check out the preacher. It's okay to check out the church. You want to find out, are they biblically based? Are Are they foundational in the truth of the word of God? Does the pastor have the ability to communicate the truth of the word in a very practical sense that we can take it, we can, we can ruminate on it over the course of the week, and that we can, we can practice, we can put into practice that which we have heard? So is he apt to teach? That's where I left off last time. Now we're going to talk about his personality, if you will. His personality in the last part of verse number two and following. Uh, not only is he of good behavior, but he's, he's to be hospitable, hospitable. Now, what does that word mean? It does not mean he puts people in the hospital. Especially as he's preaching. But it is a word, and literally it's a word that means he's a lover of strangers. He's a lover of strangers. He's the kind of person who who can interact with people he doesn't know. You know, it's easy to interact with people you do know. But interacting with the community... Interacting with people you don't know. This is what this word hospitable means here in this context. Uh, now we you can expand it if you want to deal with the issue of the gift of hospitality, of entertaining strangers in your home, or 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 entertaining in, in that context, or making pe- people feel welcome. But in this case, we're talking about the a lover of strangers. He has a, a passion, he has a, a burden for people. Hospitable. He goes on he talks about not being given to wine. This is a word that very simply means not a drinker or one who sits long at wine. That's the, the literal meaning of the word. Uh, he's, he's not one who sits long at the table with the wine glass in front of him. Now, I have a pretty narrow perspective on what the, the scriptures teach about being drunk. I mean, the scripture is very clear. It says, thou shalt not be drunk. Now, if you want to talk about this one, this one is one that I spent, I think, two or maybe three weeks on uh, with uh, my last church that I pastored as a senior pastor in helping them understand what does the Scripture say because I keep hearing over and over again that the Scripture does not say we can't drink. All right, And, and you're going to argue about this until you're blue in the face. But the fact is the Scripture does say don't get drunk. In fact, you go back to the book of Proverbs and, and uh, Solomon is very adamant about this. The foolishness, the idiocy of, of, of partaking in the alcohol, the strong drink. He makes it pretty clear the dangers, the frustrations, the destruction that, uh, that alcohol has brought into the lives of people. When it comes to the pastor, he's not to be a drinker. He's not to be a drinker. Uh, that's pretty cut and dried. Again, we talk about it being narrow qualifications. That's on purpose. He's the one who sets the standard. He's the one who sets the example in front of a congregation. And it is required. So he's not given to wine. He also says here that he's not a striker. Not violent in the New King James. He's not violent. The word there is the word pugnacious. you know what the word pugnacious means? It's the idea that he gets into quarrels. He gets into fights. Uh, back in the old days, uh, it wasn't uncommon for a preacher to have to defend himself with his fists. Good night. Talk about a culture. You know, we're living in days and days, in a day and age today where that doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, by the way, you don't want to do that with me. Uh, I, I, I need to tell you real quick, just very, very quick. When I went to to work with the police department there in Cedar Springs as their chaplain and reserve officer, I was required to go through all the training that the regular officers did, uh, including weapons training and hand-to-hand and so on. And uh, the chief chief said to uh, to me that uh, you need to learn how to subdue uh, the subject. And uh, I said, uh, Chief, I may have a problem here. As a Marine, I wasn't taught to subdue. What happens if instinct takes over? He said, you'll learn. Or the a subject will learn, one way or the other. But the idea here of pugnaciousness, he's not quick-tempered, he's not a bully. He's not an individual who carries a chip around on his shoulders. Um, remember the guy from the Wild Wild West? What was his name? Bob Conrad, Robert Conrad. Uh, he did that Ever Ready commercial I think it was ever ready. He put a chip on his shoulder, go ahead, I dare you. You know, nobody wanted to do that. The idea is of this word, it's not a striker, he's not given to violence. He's not a bully. Uh, frankly, I've known some leaders that have been bullies. The, in, in fact, I know of one pastor today, he's got this dictatorial mindset of pastoring. And essentially he says, you need to recognize my pastoral authority. And if you don't get on board with what my decision is, then you're in sin. i got a problem with that. That violates what I think the scripture says for the qualifications of pastor. He's not to be a bully. He's not a striker. He's not pugnacious. He's not greedy. See it there in the text? Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. This is a this is a concept of uh, of the pursuit of dishonest gain, dishonest gain. Now, in this day and age, uh, we we are conscious of this very much so in the business world, uh, being being aware of people who are putting in uh, on their timesheets that they're working more hours than they actually are, or, or claiming expenses that they never had. And you know, is that what this is talking about? Yeah, we're talking about those kinds of things. Uh, the pastor is, is to be a, a man of integrity. A man who's head and shoulders above the rest. One of the questions that should be asked of any pastor who is, is candidating in the process is, do you pay your bills? Do you pay your bills? What kind of a reputation do you have with uh, the businesses in your community? You know, those are the kinds of things. That's this qualification. Is this true of that man? Should be true of all pastors. Not greedy for money. He goes on, he says here, uh, but gentle. Gentle. Some translations use the word patient here. And the idea is, he is forbearing. He's kind. It's kind of the same idea of what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 5. He's gentle-spirited. Gentle-spirited. I shared with you before, when God was... Well, I shouldn't say God was arguing with me. God doesn't argue with me. I argue with him. God was calling to ministry, and, and I fought it every step of the way. And, uh, you know, I, I've shared with you before that, uh, God, I, I need patience if I'm going to do this, if this is what you want me to do. And, again, that's one of those things you, you just, oh, man, you ask God to teach you patience, you're in trouble. Because what does he use? Hard times. Difficult things. To teach us patience. Because we as human beings, how do we learn the best? Hands on. Doing these things. And that's how God teaches. That's how he taught me patience. You know, this, this concept of being gentle. I grew up on a dairy farm. Are dairy farmers gentle? Are there any dairy farmers here? Anybody grow up on dairy farms? There's a few of you. Cows are stupid. Cows are stupid. Sheep are stupid. I'm talking about sheep in the, in, in the, in the farm set setting here, not the sheep in the, in the pews. <laughs> now, you be careful. Those animals are stupid, and they need to be encouraged, sometimes forcefully. So, God, you need to teach me gentleness, you need to teach me patience. And yes, God did. God did. One of the problems that sometimes our, our armed forces servicemen and women have when they come home from being deployed, uh, sometimes, the, sometimes the problems they have are readjusting to civilian life and being gentle, being gentle. Because they've been in some of the most horrific of circumstances where violence was the, was the norm for the day. And they need, to, they need to shift gears back to being gentle. And sometimes their families and their friends are the ones who are victimized by the other life. And they need to learn. In this case, the pastor needs to be gentle, he needs to, to be balanced. We already saw that word. He needs to be balanced in his judgment. And understanding that he needs to be patient, gentle with the sheep and with the community. I need to remember that fish are going to act like fish, pagans are going to act like pa- pagan people. They don't know any different. So, what's our excuse? Ooh, I've just gone from preaching to meddling, didn't I? So the pastor, be patient, be gentle. Now he gets into this word, not a brawler. He says here, uh, one who, excuse me, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. The, The idea here is peaceable, not quarrelsome. He's not offensive. He's not overly aggressive. He keeps his temper under control. We talked about in our Sunday school class this morning in uh, Colossians chapter 1 where Paul uses both of the words, patient and long-suffering. You know, that would apply here. The pastor needs to be able to be long-tempered in dealing with people because people are people. And they're not always going to learn the first time. We need to be patient. We need to hang in there. I remember one particular gal in, in our last ministry that when we first went to that, went to that church, man, she was just so outspoken and, and just absolutely abrasive in the way she dealt with people. And it, it was a joy. I remember Kathy and I were chatting as, as we were in the process of retiring how God has moved in her life and how she has grown spiritually matured. It was fun to watch. Long-suffering. You know, if a person is quarrelsome, what are they going to do? Why aren't you learning? Slap, slap, slap. Now, you might argue, well, some people need that. Well, the pastor, he's got the divine enablement to be this kind of a man. To be this kind of a man. He goes on. He's not covetous. Uh, he says uh, in verse number three, the last phrase there, not covetous. This is a word that means he's not a lover of silver. He's not a lover of money. He, the, even though we had that previous wording before, there was a little bit different wording here. He, he's not a lover of that that capitalistic process of gaining riches, of, of storing up those riches. Uh, some people get it into their heads, man, I need to have, whoa, man, I need to buy a lottery ticket. So that I can win the $428 million that are out there. I don't know what it is today and I don't care. But the idea is he's not the kind of person who accumulates riches just for the sake of having riches. You know, I've known some people who had great material possessions and they wasted so much time worrying about losing those possessions. Hold loosely the things that God has given you, because you don't know. They belong to him anyway, don't they? This individual, God says, he's not a lover of the accumulation of riches. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have material things. It just means that he's not entrapped by them. Verses 4 and 5 give us the domestic qualification. One who rules his own house well. That's the idea that uh, in his own house, within his own home, with his wife and his children, that he's able to manage those things well. doesn't mean that he's perfect. It just means that he's, he's in that process. You know, moms and dads, we don't come home with owner's manuals for those little urchins that we take home from the hospital, do we? Did you get one? I didn't get one. When we took Brian home, I had no idea what I was doing. I did know that I'm not supposed to treat it like a calf. It's a little bit different. I mean, we put diapers on this one. So, no, I didn't have an owner's man. So I was learning by the school of hard knocks. I was learning by experience from what I could remember of being a kid. Of course, as a little baby, I don't remember that part. So, yeah, there's, there's a learning curve that we go through. But are his kids subject to his authority? It was good to see with Pastor Molino, Molino that uh, his children were well-behaved. I mean, they were kids, right? And kids need to be kids. And I understand that. Goodness gracious. There's no way in the world you're going to put a harness on some of those kids. I'm not talking about his. I'm talking about yours. Try putting a harness on them. You're going to put one of them elastic things on them? Wait until they hit the end of the elastic. They're going to come flying back. But he does rule his home well. It's under control. How about the gravity of the situation? Verse 4. He rules his own house well, having his children in a submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? We need to realize that the pastor is an individual who has the ability now to, to serve as a leader in a local church. To serve as that example that God has given for that local congregation. Verses 4 and 5. Uh, there is the ruling, there is the, the gravity of, the, of that situation of being able to do so in a dignified way. He's faithful, he's reliable, he's dependable. Verse number six: he's not a novice. This is talking about Christian experience. He's not a novice. What is a novice? Is somebody that has no experience? Somebody who has no idea what he's doing. Immature. Immature. One of the problems with an immature person being elevated quickly into a leadership role is that they often become arrogant. Arrogancy. So, arrogancy is one of those things you do not want in a pastor. You do not want in a deacon. You want humble-spirited, servant-minded people. Pastor malino was asked a question that uh, um, I was very grateful for how he answered. He answered it just about exactly how I would have. Uh, and He was talking about change, talking about change. And uh, his response was uh, uh, something to the effect that, uh, that we as a board would discuss. We would, would we'd work through those things. Uh, that the objective is not to make changes just for the sake of making changes. But circumstances themselves will dictate change. There's no arrogance in that. That's good leadership. As we look at this uh, th- this whole concept of the qualifications of a pastor and, and the novice approach to ministry... Um, you know, sometimes people with, with inexperience are going to leap into, into situations that they have absolutely no idea what they're going to do and how they're going to deal with it. Um, you know, that's going to happen enough all by itself. But to have the uh, the, the, um, the preconceived idea that I'm going to jump in without looking, that's foolishness. So thank God for the the maturity that God gives to men. To serve as pastors. By the way, I'm not talking about age. Timothy was a young man. In fact, Paul told Timothy, Don't let him despise your youth. Don't let him despise your youth. I've known young men who were mature in the faith, much more so than some that were in their 60s and 70s, who loved the Lord and and served him again with a servant's heart. Continuing, he talks about the, uh, in verse number. Where would I go now? Verse six. Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This is talking about his reputation. I talked a little bit ago about is he paying his bills, uh, but again, the question has to be raised and it needs to be understood. What kind of reputation does he have in the community? What, is he, what kind of a reputation does he have among the people that uh, he's trying to reach for Christ? You know, pastors are... Uh, there was a day when, when a pastor was considered one of the most respected members of the community. I've been around long enough to, to recognize that that used to be. But those are, those are things that are a part of the past now. Because of what's happened publicly Uh, with with many people like the the bakers and and so on and so forth that that are out there and very public knowledge. That the unsaved community is is looking with suspicion now upon the pastors. Pastors earn a reputation. Did you know that? They earn a reputation. They earn that reputation by how they conduct themselves. Paying their bills, that's one way. How they interact with the community. Again, we go back to that pugnaciousness. Man, if they're pugnacious, they're not going to have a good reputation in the community. Are they being respected? Are they being looked up to? Again, those are things that are earned. Not granted. Earned. Trust is one of those things that can be, that takes a lifetime of earning, but yet can be lost in an instant. And you understand that. His testimony is above reproach. And the idea is you get to the end of verse number 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. You know, I mentioned just a moment ago how many of of the pastors who have fallen morally, whether it's because they were embezzling or they were uh, extramarital affairs or whatever it happened to be, those are the snares that happen. The pastor is a human being, just like any other human being. They struggle just like everybody else. So don't make that mistake of of elevating a pastor onto a pedestal and and worshiping the man. Man, that cannot happen. You know, the reason that we are here today, the reason that you're a part of this church today, is because, I hope, is because of the ministry of the word and the, the, uh, the faithfulness of this congregation to stand on the truth of the word. Amen? You're not here because of the pastor. You shouldn't be. Our objective, and I shared this in Sunday school, my objective as an interim pastor is to work myself out of a job. You think about it, that's all we do. You're going to call a pastor. Praise God. His job is to work himself out of a job. It's just more longer term. He is not to be worshipped. He's not to be placed on that pedestal. Yes, he's an example. Don't misunderstand. But he is not to be worshipped. You know, when that happens, what happens when the pastor leaves? Those who are worshipping the man leave also. That's the problem. A congregation is not built on the pastor. It's built on the word. It's built on the truth. It's empowered by the spirit of God to accomplish the plan of God and the will of God. Not to worship the pastor. These qualifications, yeah, they're stringent. They're narrow. And they're necessary. Praise God that God is still enabling and calling men to serve as pastors. I thank God for that. I I share concerns. I share the concerns of the pulpit committee. There are a lot of places out there and a lot of our schools are turning out CEOs and not turning out shepherds. They're turning out people who tickle their ears rather than preach the truth. Take the time. Spend the time to find the men that are qualified, who are called, who are anointed by God to serve in this role here at First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant. Pastor Molyneux, I think he's qualified. I honestly do. Is he the man that God has called? That I do not know. But he is most certainly qualified to be the pastor of this church. You have questions, I am more than willing to answer those for you. Now, I say that because my time is gone, so you can't ask them now, but I will stand at the back of the auditorium, and uh, if you have questions, I would be more than happy to answer those for you. Amen? Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you that we have the truth of your word and that it is true, that it applies to every under-shepherd that you have called to ministry. We pray, Father, that in these days, as this congregation continues to move through the process, that you would make your will crystal clear, that there would be no doubt, not only for this congregation, but for the candidate himself and his family. God, anoint his lips. If indeed he is the man for this church, that you empower him to accomplish the tasks that he will face here. Again, thank you for the truth of your word that it remains the truth regardless of what our culture and the times dictate. And we're thankful for it in Jesus' name. Amen.